If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Debbie, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 204 of Classic Conversations. And in this episode, we're going classic with Hollywood royalty. Movie star Ruta Lee is here. You loved her as one of the brides in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. She was in Witness for the Prosecution, Funny Face, Funny Bones, Sergeant Three. We're discussing her memoir, Consider Your Ass Kissed. We're diving into her episode of The Twilight Zone. We got so much, and it's coming up in just a few seconds. And in these few seconds, I do want to remind everyone, in case you missed it, because it went by so fast, episode 202 with John Wesley Shipp. Did it go by really fast? Not really, but he was the Flash. So I just wanted to kind of make that joke. Anyway, so don't miss that episode. We talk all about the Flash and Dawson's Creek. Such a great episode with John Wesley Shipp. And we've got awesomeness waiting for you right now. Movie star Ruta Lee. We're talking about her book. We're talking about the amazing charity work. She's raised tens of millions of dollars for mental health and veterans via her organization, The Thalians. So many stories, including a good handful of them about Marilyn Monroe, Frank Sinatra, and the Rat Pack. That's coming up right now. Enjoy. All right, everyone, I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest, actress, author, philanthropic powerhouse. Loved her in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Witness for the Prosecution, thousands of appearances on TV, Perry Mason, Twilight Zone, Murder, She Wrote. I could go on and on, but I got to have time to talk to her as well. Author of her memoir, Consider Your Ass Kissed. Can't wait to find out the origin of that title. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Movie star, Rudely. Wow. Applause, applause. Thank you. Thank you. Now, let me ask you something, Jeff. Uh, when my time comes to go, would you mind doing the eulogy? That was beautiful. I would love to, but not for a long, long time. Not for a long, <laughs> but long I time. Plan, I don't plan on going for a while. <laughs> it's, you know, I did my father's eulogy. Did you? And I did. And it was one of those things where I'm a stand-up comedian, so getting in front of people is something that I do all the time. You know, when my mom passed away, I couldn't get it in me to get up there. And so I swore, like, when my uh, father passed away, I'm like, I got I got to do this. I got to do it. But I got to do it like I got to do it. You know what I mean? So I got up there. I don't want to say it was a routine, a comedy routine, but it was very humorous. I'm so glad to hear that. I uh, am asked to speak at a lot. Gee, this is depressing for your audience. <laughs> Nevertheless, it's something we all have to face. A loved one, a friend, a somebody is gone and somebody has to kind of get up and, and say something nice and hopefully something with humor so that we can laugh a little bit about a great life as well as weep over it. And I always try to bring humor into it. So I'm glad to hear that you did that. Now, my question of you when we first said, how do you do, is Dwoskin is a very interesting name. It sounds either Russian, Polish, Czech. Do you have any idea of where that name came from? Any history? I believe it's Russian. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, I think that's 
All I know, I realized, you know, after everyone passes away, I realized, oh, my family wasn't great at passing on stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know the what history. I mean? I, I'm doing the same thing. I'm of Lithuanian descent. And of course, all of my family was deported to Siberia, you know, when the Russian communists crap took over. And I wish that I had listened more to what my little grandmother, when I finally got her out of Siberia and, and here to the United States, I wish I had listened to more of the stories that she remembered. It was so fascinating. I mean, I, I know what my mother told me. I, I know what my father told me. But, you know, when you're a kid, you're not willing to sit and listen to all that stuff. You say, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me get onto my radio and television. And uh, now I regret not writing and, and, you know, absolutely capitalizing on that lore that meant so much. I think we're all afraid to just face our immortality. And it's like when you talk about those things, you admit there's this end. And I think it's sometimes it's it's hard to kind of face that. But, you know, the more life goes on. Like recently, my dad was known throughout my life. He was the guy who made pickles, right? And he made... Did he really? Oh my God, I would have loved him. That's my favorite food. He made the best pickles. And like, Ooh. and so he was known for it. Like you would, the only rule was you got to return the jar, right? <laughs> and I realized after he died, I found like the handwritten recipe, but I never really learned it because I never really thought of him not being there to do it with me or just to do it. And so it was like one of those things that was like, ah, you know, but it's one of those things. So I guess the message for everyone listening is, hey, ask a lot of questions. If someone's around, if you're fortunate to have them with you, learn all you can learn because once it's gone, it's gone. And how how right you are. Uh, I, I wish I knew a little more now. I'm, I'm so terribly, terribly embittered at what Putin is doing to the Ukraine and how the slaughter is going on there, and how most Russians have no frigging idea of what's going on. They're being fed that unbelievable communist bullshit that got passed on years ago that we thought was fading a little bit, but it seems to be rising again. And uh, I, I'm terrified for those people. And of course, my family is all in Lithuania, and those people are quaking in their boots because he wants to retake Latvia. Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, anything else that was once under the communist heel, he wants to retake. And oh, dear God, they're not all NATO countries. So uh, please, everybody, say, send up a prayer and save a dollar and send it to where it'll do some good. Amen to that. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. Uh, we do a, a weekly show. And we always kind of take a moment just to, so everyone can focus and remember that it's going on. You know, sometimes the news cycles, they 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 start to lessen the, the talk or they move on to something else or some other. Yeah, it boosts interest. When it's not making headlines, you, you forget about it, and that's kind of a shame. But let's get on to lighter fare. We don't want to bring doom and gloom to our wonderful time together. So thank you for sharing what your background was, and, and everybody now knows what mine is, too. And considering that I did most of my growing up right here in Hollywood, that kind of lighter fare to start with, a little flash and trash. Yeah, you have a fascinating life. I, you know, before we get to that, since you brought it up, I want to, you mentioned your grandma, uh, who is a, a Siberian, in a Siberian internment camp at the time since World War II, and then you got her out. Yes. I just thought that was I, such I a fascinating story. It is a fascinating story. And uh, the book, 
I dedicate one chapter to the book, by the way, Consider Your Ass Kissed is the title, that I only gave one chapter to my grandmother and the happenings, and that was very short shrift. So I'm going to do another book, Jeff. I'm going to dedicate an entire, whatever it took me years, to get this book together, to getting the one together about getting my grandmother, who was a tiny little lady that didn't have a pot to pee in in Lithuania, little, tiny, you know, poor people that had a, a tiny piece of land. And this was not the intelligentsia, you know, the, this was not the cognoscenti and the writers and the, and the politicians and the thought makers. These were little farm people. They had a cow, which I guess made them rich. And they were shipped off to Siberia for no reason given, other than we assume it was the time when the communists were trying to repatriate the countries that had the heavy Catholic preponderance, you know. And off they went to Siberia. My grandfather died en route on the cattle car that they were being deported on, very much like the Jews were being deported during Hitler's regime. And now the communists were doing the same thing sending these people off, never in some cases to be seen again, like my grandfather whose legs were frozen on the cattle car they were transported on. When they stopped at a way station and took off his boots, the flesh went with it. Gangrene had set in, and he died, and my grandmother never even knew. She was still on the train off to Siberia. Uh, it, it was horrendous, and so the story needs to be told. So many of our beautiful young people who were so privileged to have been born or privileged to come to the United States and have no frigging idea of how blessed they are to have been born in a country that was free, where you could say and do what you want. And if you worked hard, the American dream was yours. That didn't exist in places like Russia and Latvia and Estonia and Lithuania and Poland and Czechoslovakia. That Russian heel came down and you did what they, you were told. And the people in the Soviet Union, what, what he's trying to recoup is the Soviet Union. They don't know now. There are relatives there that we hear from that have no idea in Russia of what's going on in the Ukraine. They're assuming Ukraine is starting all this. Anyway, I said I was going to get lighter. So you asked me about the title of the book. Consider your ass kissed is an expression that I have used for more years than I can remember because I've always been in the fundraising business. And my, my sister in charity and my beloved adopted sister, Debbie Reynolds, was the founder, one of the founders of an organization called The Thalians, T-H-A-L-I-A-N-S. And we started a charity for mental health, ranging from pediatric going through geriatric. And some 50 years later, after doing big, glamorous shows where every star in town did a bit part or came or sang or did whatever because they liked the two ladies heading up the charity, Debbie Reynolds and myself, and they appeared for us for no money at all, and we raised millions and millions of dollars for the Thalians Community Mental Health Center. And then one day, about five years ago, we woke up to the fact that we were missing the boat on something, and that is the mental health of our returning veterans. These beautiful young people that are willing to put their lives on the line every day when we send them to all sorts of places and put them in harm's way. And yet they'd come back and sometimes 
fall through the cracks when it came to their physical health and, above all, their mental health. Mental health being the disease that you don't see. And so we joined forces with Operation MEND at UCLA, and OpMend heals the broken and fractured bodies of our returning, returning vets, and we Thalians are trying to heal the broken mind and spirit. If anybody out there has a couple of dollars or a couple of thousand dollars that they wish to donate to help our veterans, please go to the Thalians, T-H-A-L-I-A-N-S dot org. And you can read about us and how we got started and what we do. Very proud of the fact that a bunch of so-called lazy-ass actors and actresses who were hard-drinking, pot-smoking, had nothing to contribute, put this organization together and has raised probably over $50 million for mental health. I'm very proud of us and grateful to the stars that came to perform for us. That's amazing. And this organization's over 60 years old. It's, it's a wonderful when you can put your star power to the to the goodness. And you're right. Sometimes people don't realize all the charitable work that uh, movie stars do. They just see the glitz and the glamour. But yeah, you've been working tirelessly to raise money. I thank you for your service. And I'll definitely I'll put that link in the show notes so that it's easy for anyone to hop on over. That would be lovely, Jeff. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt. We have to take a quick break for our sponsors. But I do want to thank all of you for supporting the sponsors. When you support them, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations. And that's how we keep the lights on. And we're back with movie star Ruta Lee. Ruta is about to talk to us about the difference between OG stars and new stars when it comes to raising money. And we're back. You know, it's a different generation now, too. And I don't mean to bitch and gritch, but I was trying to find replacement for myself and for Debbie Reynolds for the last 20 years. And it is a different generation. I swear, most of us that are my age and around my age, which makes it damn old, but a little bit younger, grew up in a generation and maybe vaudeville was the, you know, the, the program designer for us because we all grew up in we got to give something back. If we're lucky enough to be working and doing what we love to do, which is perform, get on the stage and make people happy, make them smile, make them laugh, then we need to give back some of what's come our way. And everybody of the old stars, whether it was Bing Crosby I was calling or Frank Sinatra or Angela Davis or Whoopi Goldberg, were willing to say, damn right, we'll be there. And they didn't ask to be paid for anything. They didn't ask for seats. They didn't ask for a table. They didn't ask for a private plane, which is what I'm getting now from these beautiful young stars. If you can even get through to them, you know, there's this plethora of agents and managers and masseuses and hairdressers and private secretaries that you have to get through. And it's always, well, you will send a private plane, won't you? And you will have my uh, my band and my orchestra flown in, won't you? And we will have a table of 12 and you will pick up the hotel tabs for everybody, won't you? Well, hell, you, you can't make any money doing that for your charity. And that's sort of what I've been getting for almost about 20 years. The new young people are simply not willing. At least they're not willing. They're told they're not willing by their agents, 
and management. So I I always say, if I can just grab somebody face to face, then it'll be great. I'll get them. You know, I'll, I'll explain to them what the need is and, and that they can't miss. But you just can't get through the phalanx of people that uh, guard all these young people. But God keeps us going somehow. Well, you keep fighting the fight and keep putting out these awesome shows and raising the tens of million. That's the legacy you'll leave behind. Jeff, I forgot to finish how I used to say to the people that gave me, you know, $50 or 500 or $500,000, what else could I say from the stage? But please, my dear friends, consider your ass kissed. And my mm-hmm. dear friend, who is the red carpet man for ABC television, George Pinocchio, who is like one of my kids, said to me, Ruta, if you ever get this book written, that should be the title of it. Consider your ass kissed. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Not just from my very bottom, but the bottom of my heart. And I thank anybody that buys my book. I thank anybody that's ever turned on a television set because I'm going to be on. I thank anybody that come to a movie to see me or come to see me in a play. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you and consider your ass kiss. I picture like a bit, like a kind of a kiss. It goes with a mwah. Consider yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right, Jeff. I would like to talk about The Twilight Zone, if that's okay. Love it. So The Twilight Zone is like one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, I have a bookshelf. One half of one shelf is all the DVDs and toys I have. Like I've... It was one of those things just growing up. I think it's probably had a huge effect on me. So just I love Rod Serling, the storytelling, everything about it. It just, you know, like many, it really touched me. So when I saw that you were... uh, or reminded that you were the star of A Short Drink from a Certain Fountain. I rewatched it because I wanted to have a good conversation about it. Such a piece of uh, iconic history. I mean, you were on a million things, but I feel like The Twilight Zone is just one of those things that it keeps coming back. It never goes away. And it's like just to kind of be a part of that original series. Like, what was it like just being there, Rod Serling? Like, I don't don't even know what to ask. I just want you to spill. Well, let me tell you. (laughs) Rod Serling was the most adorable, charming, funny, sexy man. He had one terrible fault besides being this gifted, wonderful writer and imaginative. He smoked morning, noon, and night. One cigarette would light the next one. As As the butt went out, the smoke never stopped. And it was difficult to spend time with him because I was constantly sneezing and gagging and carrying on. So I never... If I could have had a romance with him, I didn't have a romance with him. But boy, did I love him and did I love what he did. And that was one of the most fun experiences that I ever had. I shouldn't say fun, just one of the best experiences because I got to play this trampette. She really was a bit of a slut. And they are so much more fun to play than the goody two-shoes, you know? I'm sure. There is this young woman that has married an older man who happens to have a scientist doctor for a brother who has invented something that he hasn't put into trials yet, and he insists on taking the shot to make him younger. And of course, he gets younger and younger and younger. And I am left having to take care of a child if I want the money, because he has reverted to that. It's a great switch ending. And I loved working with Patrick O'Neill and everybody on the set. And one of the nicest things that happened, Jeff, that I had to share with you and your listeners is, you know, on a, on the set, this was a shot at MGM. 
and there are the catwalks way up high that have the the Klieg lights and the baby spots and all of that stuff. And the guys are up there in the catwalk, leaning over the rails, watching the performances down below. And after one of the scenes, there was this big round of applause from up above, from the catwalks. And the guys all said, hey, Ruta, we love you. And I thought, well, thank you. That is so nice. You remind us of our favorite. And that was, oh, my God. Now, uh, she was married to to Clark Gable. Um, Oh, help me, help me, help me. She died in a plane crash. Oh, this fabulous blonde. Uh Oh, how can I forget her name? Anyway, she was their favorite. And I was was so honored to even be considered in league with her. Towards the end of the show, I'll remember and I'll yell it out. I'm trying to look but, it up right now. <laughs> that awful. I just can't think of it. Oh, he's name. married to a million people. Kay Williams, Sylvia Ashley, Carol Lombard. Carol Lombard, thank you very much. Carol Lombard. She's the one that unfortunately died on a on a plane coming back from selling war bonds. Isn't that a shame? Oh no. That beautiful young woman, and they were a very happy couple. I rewatched the episode just because I never, no reason not to. If I get a chance to watch The Twilight Zone, I'm going to watch it. So Patrick O'Neill, who is your husband in the show, uh, who you, Flora, are supposed to be 40 years junior. He was actually only, there was only eight years actual difference between you. <laughs> oh, yeah. They painted him up with, uh, the, you know, the, the gray lines and the, and made him older. And then he came to his own age and then they made him younger. But uh, it was quite a, a good show for him. Needless to say. Well, it was a good show, period. And unfortunately, it didn't play forever and ever on all the reruns, you know, when they do the uh, the, the thons on television. Because it had been in some sort of litigation, but they finally resolved what the problem was, and thank God it plays now. So it's seen every time they do the, the big runs where they run the day and night. Right, right. You can catch it on Paramount Plus right now. They have all of them. Right, it's considered one oh, of the lost... Do. Four episodes. There were four episodes that were lost. Miniature, yeah. The Encounter, Sounds and Silences, and yours, A Short Drink from a Certain Fountain. And it wasn't broadcast again until 1983 in a special hosted by your co-star, Patrick O'Neill. Really? I didn't know that. That's why I'm here, Ruda. <laughs> now, so I will a lot say, of people are sitting home saying, I didn't know that. Now, I will say in re-watching it, and I usually try not to rethink something in today's eyes, but I don't think when um, the brother, who's the scientist, injects his brother, right, your husband, Patrick O'Neill, and turns him into a young person and then turns to you and says, now you have to raise him. It, you know, the it's flipped. You know, you were yeah. once the young one, yeah. now he's the young one. And he's like kind of just sticking you, your character. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time, I'm like, he's not taking an ounce of accountability that as a scientist, he shot up his brother with an untested serum. <laughs> it's like, he just, he just, well, he, he just. Thank God he it. did, or there wouldn't have been a story. <laughs> oh, I know, but I just thought it would be like, you know, he should have had some remorse that he was a little bit responsible. <laughs> Jeffrey, don't you dare fall into that political crap. Oh, it's not about political. It's just like, you know, I mean, he, he, he shot up his brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I was like I was like, come on. I think, you know, yes, your character, Flora, gets stuck with it. And so he would hate because you guys didn't like each other in, in the show. But he's got to be like uh, a little bit like maybe I should go on the run. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just making up drugs and, and injecting them into people. But uh, <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I was just like, I'm like, you know, anyway, but that was then. So 
Uh, there's so much, Ruda. I don't. I have like a thousand notes in front of me. I don't even know where to go. I I was inspired by and I loved sort of your origin story or the one thing that kind of was a spark, which was your teacher, Miss Jackson, kind of seeing that spark in you, and then your mother helping to uh, run with that and get you dance lessons and music lessons. I love like when you can kind of find that moment. I think that so many people in our business look back and think. God, if I hadn't had my mom that understood that or or my dad that didn't mind paying a little more for me to go to school or take lessons or whatever, you know, so many of us owe the good things in our life to understanding parents. So many of us didn't have good and understanding parents and still managed to survive and go on and do, you know, without aid and assistance from the government. I'm uh, so happy that I had a teacher that understood that there was something different. I was just damn lazy, honest to God, to this day, Jeff. I I even write this in the book. I'm not crazy about rehearsal like some people are. Most actors I know love the experience of finding the meaning and the way and the reason and, and all of that stuff. And I just say, oh, let's just get the turkey on the table, you know, and let's get the music on and let's hear the laughs. To this day, I don't like rehearsal, but I do adore performing, especially live, like you, to get up on stage and to deal with an audience, you know, off the cuff, uh, especially uh, I love. In fact, in most of the shows that I do, if I'm on the road doing, whether it's Annie Get Your Gun or Hello Dolly or Mame or Best Little Whorehouse, it doesn't matter. I love to literally take off my hat after the show and not be Dolly or Molly uh, or Mame, but be Ruta and just say hello and chat and giggle with the audience a bit. Uh, I've always loved that. And I imagine you find that very satisfying too. I do. I do love it. I, I've never had anyone come up to me after a show and say, this is our son. We named him Jeff Dwoskin. Like you had someone come up to you <laughs> that they named their daughter Ruta Lee. But uh, I do understand 100% what you're talking about. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful when, when people kind of, sometimes they're too shy to come backstage. You know, they don't want to mess with it or whatever. I was very, very blessed to have a husband for 46 years that understood and didn't get jealous of time that I spent with an audience. You know, after the show, I swear I took almost as much time as the show to sign autographs and chat with people who took the time not only to come see me in the show, but then to come backstage afterwards and get a signature and a little conversation. I'm so grateful to people like that. And that's where Consider Your Ass Kissed came from, because I was so very happy to know that people cared one way or another about me, that were not related to me or had to be good and kind to me, but were because they liked what I did or what they saw in me. Very grateful for that. And to this day, I thank God every day for giving me the privilege of having good friends out there that I was not born to love. Right. And that is a blessing. It sounds like your husband was very supportive. My wife, very supportive, you know, with the podcast. I'm like, hey, I got to go talk to movie star Ruta Lee. She's like, totally cool, you know, and, uh, you know, but even after, you know, doing shows and weekends of comedy and stuff like that, I think when you have to do something like that, like you have to act and you have to do all that. And I, you know, everyone, if you have a creative bone in your body, 
you have to let it out. You need someone who can just understand that. So that's awesome. That's wonderful. You know that my darling husband that we're talking about came from your neck of the woods. Lambertville was the town that he was from, which is next door practically to what he called Tootley Doo, Ohio, uh, Toledo, <laughs> and uh, and not too far from Detroit. All of it. So uh, it's a small world, isn't it? That is a small world. Us Midwest, you know, you gotta. It's a special place. It's a very special place. I think warm, delicious, all Americana, non-complaining people. I like. I like the Midwest. We're good folks. We're good folks. Real folks. Yeah, we are. Let's talk about the time you were hanging with the Rat Pack. So. Ah, now that was fun. That's the most fun I've ever had. And my only regret is that I didn't have an affair with any one of them. Just think of the book I could have written. <laughs> well, in your book, it sounds like Frank Sinatra kind of wanted to go in that direction. and you well, kind of... I wanted to, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. And uh, if I hadn't been young and stupid, maybe I would have wanted to as well. Who knows? I might have been Mrs. Frank Sinatra. God, he was good to me. I will always, always hold him in reverence and appreciation because he changed my life in many ways, made it much more fun. And uh, working with the Rat Pack was just amazing. And, you know, I worked with him on location and in Las Vegas and in Hollywood. And it, they were wonderful. And it was on location. They all treated me like their little sister. And it was Sammy Davis's job to walk me to my room every night. They would, you know, bring in a load of ladies from Vegas or whatever when we were on location in Kanab, Utah, otherwise known as the Little Hollywood. By the way, in, in Kanab, Utah, I don't have a star in the boulevard. I have a hitching post. They have hitching posts with all the legendary stars that have shot there and been there. Isn't that a charming idea? I like that, yeah. So I have a hitching post there. But they would, uh, you know, they'd party all night long and drink and carry on. But I'd be walked to my room by Sammy Davis and told to stay in. But it was very sweet and very nice. And I had the best time of my life. Sorry to interrupt my conversation with movie star Ruta Lee, but we have to take a quick break. And we're back. Movie star Ruta Lee has a few more Frank Sinatra stories to share. Oh, Frank was so generous and so good. He was one of the many great stars that appeared for the Thalians. And not only did he appear, but he paid for the entire orchestra and everybody involved in his appearance. Now that's charity. You hear that, everyone listening? Who's asking Ruta to pay for private planes? Frank Sinatra didn't ask that. You shouldn't no. ask either. Show up and do your duty. All right, there we yeah. go. Boom. Thank you, honey. Thank you. So you had, they gave you a nickname. I love that. You were Loudy. <laughs> <laughs> loudy, yeah. Dean, that God didn't give Ruta tits. He gave her a set of speakers. <laughs> <laughs> so I was Loudy. Sammy was um, the bear. Uh, today's my day not to remember names. Uh, Frank was, of course, uh, uh, the Pope. Sammy was Sparky. Very cool. And then there was a great story where you got to you got to meet Marilyn Monroe at a birthday party that Frank threw for Dean. She, she was, without a doubt, a glowing creature. When she walked into the room, in this case, it was a big showroom that was filled with very beautiful and glittering stars and people, one of them being Elizabeth Taylor, who was sitting right opposite me at Frank's table. He was having a birthday party for, I mean, for uh, Dean Martin. She came into the room on Frank's arm, and it was as if every spotlight in the world was shining on her. 
because she glowed. She was in a sparkling white beaded dress with white fox wrap and that platinum blonde hair. And it was like she had an inner glow. It was unbelievable. She took the shine and the spotlight off of Elizabeth Taylor, who was at the height of her beauty, and kept it all evening long. And I was awed by the mastery of the room that she took when she walked into it. I wrote in the book that the Gabors had that magic. They could walk into a room and take it over somehow with their presence. Well, Marilyn did it in a much shyer and uh, less come-on way. You know, she was just amazing, amazing. That was my really one experience with her, and uh, it was a nice one, needless to say. That's amazing, because that's a hell of a room to walk in and be able to kind of take the full shine. Yes. I thought it was really interesting, like the the precursor to you becoming part of the Rat Pack, like how you got the story you tell about getting the role in Witness for the Prosecution, where somebody was just watching you watch Frank Sinatra. He did, Frank Sinatra didn't know who you were. Isn't that interesting? I, I had never met Frank, didn't know him, and he was invited to, uh, he was asked, by Mary Morrison, who was then the owner of Mocombo, which was one of the three big night spots in Hollywood on the Sunset Strip. Uh, and, and they were going out of business because television had taken over. This was the early 50s, or the mid to late 50s. And um, nobody was nightclubbing. Everybody was home watching television, major shows. And so Frank was asked to play, and he said he would, and that uh, Dean would play a week, and uh, Victor Moan would play a week, and Sammy would play a week, and see if they could get some business going for them. And I was invited by a very dear friend to Frank's opening, and I, of course, had never seen him in person. I was too young. But I had all the recording, his fabulous, unrequited love song recording, which I played everywhere and on little, uh, not just the tape in my car. And there I sat watching him, and Jeffrey, I don't know if you ever had a chance to see him live, but he was undoubtedly the most amazing entertainer. He grabbed you and held you without doing a lot, and he was working on a tiny little dais in front of his orchestra, which I'm sure he paid, uh, <laughs> that filled the entire stage. You know, stages in nightclubs are small. And so he was on this tiny little dais, directly in front of me and I was staring up at him and I'm sure mouth hanging open because he was that mesmerizing and a note came around to the host asking him to bring me to the table he'd like to meet me and I went over and he said hello uh, my name is Arthur Hornblow Jr. it's my wife Hornblow and I am the producer of a movie that has been filming for a couple of weeks called Witness for the Prosecution and I have just given you a very unique screen test because I was behind Frank Sinatra, I was watching you watch Frank Sinatra, and I think you would make a very good love interest for Tyrone Power in my movie Witness for the Prosecution. Can you come in and meet Billy Wilder? And as soon as my mouth stopped dropping open, I said, is tomorrow too soon? <laughs> he invited me in, and I went in, and they put me on film in front of the camera, and Marlena Dietrich took one look and said, nope. Forget it. Next time, she's blonde like me. I became a brunette overnight. Whatever it takes. That's how I got the job. Isn't that an amazing thing? And Frank Sinatra never knew about it. And as I write in my book a couple of years later, what is he doing but screening movies at home, which was his favorite thing to do after a big Italian meal. And the favorite guy that I worked for a lot 
producer Howard Hawks there for dinner and a movie that night, and they're screening witness for the prosecution. And Frank says to Howard, his partner now in business, uh, what do you think of that Ruta Lee chick? I, I, I've been watching her on television. What do you think we put her in one of our upcoming movies? And that's how I got to be the leading lady to Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis, Peter Lawford, Joey Bishop, the Crosby Boys in Sergeant 3. What a story. What a Hollywood dream of a story. It is. It's a crazy story. Just the whole, the way, the whole round robin of that story. Just how he kind of got you the movie that he, no, he didn't get you that movie, but I mean, he inspired whatever awe you were doing while you were watching him. And then somehow that got you into that movie. And then he saw you in the movie and he's like, I got to have that girl. Right. That, I don't know why that was a horrible impression, but, but the, um, the book tells it better. Yeah. The book tells it better. <laughs> you told it better. So it's just a great, uh, it's a great story. It's a great story. How did, how did Jerry Lewis fit in with the Rat Pack? Did they like him? I never, I, cause you were, you starred with him in Funny Bones. Uh, so I know yes. you knew him as well. I just, yes. I never was connected. I know him and Dean were together, but then they weren't. And I, I never kind of understood. Well, Frank was responsible, if I recall correctly, on putting them together again. When I say together, I mean, I mean, Dean and Jerry on the telephone that Jerry did. And, and that was amazing what he was able to do and raise for uh, his cause, you know, for uh, muscular dystrophy. Yeah, MD. Yeah. And uh, he, he, he was he was just amazing. I always loved him. Not everybody in this world did. I think he was a very, very difficult taskmaster when he was running the show and, and he was producing a movie or starring in it or whatever. I gathered that he was quite a skirt chaser. He never did it with me. If he did, I didn't recognize it. Let's put it that way. So we remained friends, and I remained friends with his wife. You know, if I saw them or whatever, I'd sit with them at a table somewhere or go over and say hello, and I'd always say hello to Jeannie. We, we always had a good time, uh, and he was very good. And, and I loved working with him when we were doing Funny Bones because we were on location in England, and there was a lot of time where we would just sit and talk or walk the beach or do whatever, you know, and, and just schmooze about people that we knew and loved and people that we didn't know and love and so on and so forth. So I always had a great time with him. I don't know how the rest of the guys felt about him. Obviously, if Frank thought enough to put them together on his telethon and knew that they in some way should at least acknowledge each other and be together. I'm sorry that it fell apart. I'm delighted that Dean went on on his own to become a very big movie star in his own right. And Jerry continued his movie stardom and, of course, was worshipped by the English and certainly by the French. That gave him the Legion d'honneur, you know, the Legion of Honor. Right, right. I, I found that all very satisfying and heartrending and, and rewarding that there was a get-together. It never became anything permanent. And, of course, Dean, after the death of his son, I think, started to fade mentally and certainly physically. And I, I used to see him a lot at what we called his kitchen, his outdoor kitchen, which was uh, a restaurant here in Beverly Hills in Hollywood. And uh, he would come in and, and he'd be rather loaded and sometimes he'd take out his teeth and lay them on the table. And it just became so sad that in some ways uh, I was glad when his end came because he was not a happy camp. Mm. He was an unhappy person. So and sad. considering he was one of the, without a doubt, the funniest man I ever knew. Jerry was the comic, 
But Dean was the true comedian, truly, innately, the funniest man I have ever known. He would be quiet and all of a sudden make a quip that would knock everybody off their ass. You know, it was just great. So he, he was great. But I loved them both, and, and thank God for the pleasure of working with two great stars on a very personal level. Speaking of funny people, Lucille Ball. Oh, wow. Yeah. My mother's birthday was August 5th. Hers was August 6th. And she came to a wonderful party that I was having for my mother, and we had the cake for two of them. And uh, it, it was a, a sweet moment to, to have Lucy as a personal friend, enough to where she would come to a party for my mom and make it good. She was very special. I loved her very much. I, I see her daughter, Lucy, in Palm Springs, where she lives. We uh, were good friends, but it was a, a great blessing to, to be able to say she's a friend of mine and be at her home playing games and doing whatever. Uh, I just, I loved her. I watched the clip of you on the Lucy show with, with Milton Berle. Oh, with Milton, God, that was so funny. I peed my pants laughing on that thing. When that salad hit his head and came down and he made wipers out of his fingers to get the sauce off his glasses, I literally dribbled. I mean, it was so funny, and I was trying to hold it in and not laugh, but it was such, such fun. And, of course, you see, there was another difficult person, according to the business, Milton Berle. Not everybody loved, but I adored him, and he was always good to me, and, and he came and did things for me, When as did Lucy. When I asked her to, to be our star for the Thalian, she said yes. When I asked her to chair the event for the City of Hope that I was doing for diabetic research, she did that, as did Milton Berle, uh, as did Jack Carter, as did all those wonderful old comics, you know, Norm Crosby. They're, they're all gone. It's it's frightening. There's nobody left. There's Shecky Green left in this world. But there's none of the old-timers left that would say, all right, God damn it, I'll come and do it. You know, they were just great. Ruta, these are amazing stories. We didn't even get to Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. That's how much we got into this. I'll tell you what. Why don't we pick this up another day? That would be amazing. You can call me anytime you like. You've got my number. Thank you for sharing your audience with me. Thank you for letting me relive some of the sweet moments of my life with you and your listeners. And what can I do but say, may God keep smiling on you, dear Jeff. And may God keep smiling on you, Ruta Lee. Thank you, my friend. Call me whenever you want. Thanks, Ruta. Bye, darling. All right, everyone. How amazing was movie star Ruta Lee? The reason I kept calling her movie star Ruta Lee is because when she was on the Lucy show, Lucy opens the door and says, oh my God, it's movie star Ruta Lee. So that's that's where I got that. I loved all those stories. Go check out her Twilight Zone episode. Don't forget to buy her book, Consider Your Ass Kissed. Ruta Lee is Hollywood royalty. She's an amazing philanthropist. Her organization, The Thalians, is amazing. Definitely check it out. Links in the show notes to everything. Well, with the interview over, can't believe it. That means episode 204 has come to an end. I want to thank once again my amazing guest, movie star Ruta Lee. And of course, I want to thank all of you, podcast listener stars, that come back week after week. Thank you so much. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. 
Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word, and we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations.